0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com. Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest
1: with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Welcome, Bengals fans. I am Matt Minnick, and this is Chalk Talk. Today, I've got a great guest. He covers the Minnesota Vikings for The Athletic. It is Arif Hassan. Arif, how are you today?
2: I'm good. I'm good. How are you?
1: Great. Uh, well, pleased to have you here. Now, this is a Bengals podcast, so why are we talking to a Vikings expert? Uh, it is because the, the Bengals made two uh, too big... Uh, acquisitions in free agency that are coming over from the Vikings, uh, both in the, the defensive backfield. So we will definitely talk about those guys. But first let's talk about Mike Zimmer uh, fan favorite uh, with the Bengals. There were some very good defenses when he was in Cincinnati and there were a lot of fans that were hoping that he would eventually replace Marvin Lewis how is uh, how is Zimmer received in Minnesota?
2: I think largely very well. I think, um, you know, Minnesota fans have been kind of uh, impatient when it comes to to success on the field. And obviously, the Vikings haven't won a Super Bowl or anything like that. So, uh, you know, the teams have been talented uh, several times over the course of Zimmer's career, and they've gotten pretty close. They haven't closed it out. So there's definitely a group of fans that that are pretty frustrated, but I think most people are, are really happy with, with what he's been able to do and, and how he's kind of steered the franchise in a really positive direction. So, yeah, I, I'd say um, I'd say, you know, fans have been really receptive.
1: Yeah, he's definitely had some some really good success out there. Um, some some major turnaround this year, though, and and you've got a you've got a quarterback locked up. Uh, and unfortunately, that's making it hard to to keep a lot of the other guys around. Uh, two of those guys heading over to Cincinnati this year. So we'll start off talking about Trey Waynes, uh, the 2015 first round draft pick of the Vikings, the Bengals brought him in on a three year, $42 million deal, uh, which was by some seems a little bit high. Uh, you know, what do you think of his career in Minnesota? And, you know, do you think he can develop into a top NFL cornerback Like, like you obviously expected to draft him in the first round.
2: Yeah. Um. Wayne's is somebody that I think in the right system has got a lot of opportunity and and capability. And obviously the Vikings Bengals system is uh, has kind of done a lot for him. Um, But, yeah, I, I think that within the confines of kind of what, he, what he's what he been asked to do in Minnesota, uh, he can succeed a lot. Um, you know, his, uh, his 2017 and his 2018 in particular, uh, you know, he turned it around uh, halfway through the 2017 season. And in 2018, I thought he put together a really stellar performance. And it's not like he dropped off in a big way in 2019. But I think if you wanted to say... You know, this guy can become a number one corner. I take a, a look at kind of what he did um, in, in the back half of that 2018 season. So um, for the most part, you know, I, I think that he is a solid corner. I think for uh, a player that you're you're paying to be a number one corner, I think solid is not the word you're looking for. Um, I think that he's generally pretty good. I think that, you know, he's learned how to use his physical assets to his advantage, which is kind of a big problem he had early in his career. Uh, and obviously, you know, he's this remarkably fast player uh, and he's been able to kind of do a lot on on go routes and, and shut down some of the speed threats that the NFL has to offer. But, you know, he, he also has his own weaknesses that I think limit him from kind of hitting that threshold. I think that he's probably either got more work to do or it's already baked in the cake, but I don't know that I would call him a number one corner, but if you compare him against number two corners across the league, I think you'd be really happy with the kind of player you got.
1: Well, for the meantime, uh, that's what is going to be expected of him in Cincinnati. They, um, you know, we we still have William Jackson, uh, but Jackson's coming into a contract year. So uh, hopefully, hopefully there's money around to keep them both. But, you you mentioned him kind of figuring out his physical abilities and what he, he could do best, uh, but also having some flaws. Do you think that he has kind of maxed out what he's capable of in Minnesota, or do you think he still has room to
2: grow? I think he's got a little bit of room to grow, but I think that he is pretty close to, to maxing out his abilities. And so, when I talk about his flaws, I mean, there's obviously a couple of different types of flaws. There's mental errors, technical errors, and physical limitations, right? Uh, and I think that in terms of his physical limitations, you know, he's a fast guy. I think that for a guy that entered the league at 186 pounds, he's remarkably strong. He's probably the league's best tackling corner at the moment. So he's obviously got um, the the ability to kind of lay the wood. And so that, that physicality is going to be there. That's not going to be a limitation of his. But just in terms of his agility, he's had to work out a lot of things when it comes to how he turns his hip, his footwork, and so forth, in order to kind of consistently be an effective corner, just one reason that you're not going to put him in the slot. It's one reason that, you know, he he does much better on the outside. And uh, you know, despite the fact that he's a, a fairly strong tackling corner, he needs to kind of build up that head of steam. And so he's gonna be a little bit weaker in press coverage just because of his size limitations. So those things are, are going to put a cap on what he can do. I think from a technical perspective, there's Not a ton more that needs to be done in order to kind of maximize those physical capabilities. Um, I think that he needs to be a little bit better at speed turns, which is kind of the thing that that Zimmer emphasizes for corners. It was really important for him to be able to 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 diminish the importance of of his agility limitations. Uh, But in terms of his mental game, I think he does a really good job reading offenses. I don't know that he can get much better at that. I think that he's really remarkably good at that, uh, especially when it comes to reading route combinations and patterns and kind of executing that when it comes to, uh, you know, the complex match coverages that the Vikings would run. Um, But when it comes to just kind of the instinctive awareness, uh, he has some limitations. You know, he doesn't do a great job of of contesting the ball when it arrives in receivers hands he doesn't do a great job of kind of figuring out where the ball is a lot of fans will say he doesn't get his head turned around which is true sometimes you don't want that you know if you're out of phase you don't want to get your head turned around because of because then you're just going to completely lose your receiver but you know in those situations when you get your your hands in the receivers hands he doesn't do that either so his ball awareness is kind of limited and we've kind of seen that with his low number of interceptions and pass deflections over the years so I don't know that that's something that he has the ability to kind of improve upon. But if it is, that's, I think, where the greatest room for growth is uh, in, in his ability to kind of consistently be aware when it comes to the instinctive elements of cornerback play.
1: So you talked about his tackling, which is which is great because that's a big problem the Bengals have had in their secondary in recent years. And, you know, you also talk about, about his intelligence, his ability to read plays. How how mu- well does he understand his own role within the defense? Because uh, the other big issue the Bengals had last year was they had a lot of miscues in the secondary, uh, where, like honestly, I'd be I'd be talking to some other people I know that are that are pretty good at breaking down football, and and at times he didn't even know what they were running. Um, so it, is is he a guy who uh, has a a strong ability to understand different defenses and how he fits into his role uh, to avoid these type of mental errors?
2: Uh, I'd say yes. The only issue with with kind of me saying that with as much confidence as I'd like to is just that, uh, you know, he wasn't on the field for the first two years for the Vikings. And usually when there's a cornerback that is a first round pick that doesn't see the field for a while, either, you know, they're a Zimmer corner that's been kind of true for a while or, you know, they haven't learned the system. And, you know, it's it's a difficult position to learn when you transition from college to the NFL. But I don't really think That was the reason he wasn't seeing the field. He just wasn't ready from a technical perspective to play. The few times we saw him play, it wasn't a coverage confusion error that he had. It was, you know, he would just kind of lose this guy and then commit a penalty to try and kind of limit the damage. Uh, and and it was just an enormous liability. Plus, the Vikings had Terrence Newman, who was just remarkably capable as a, as a number two corner uh, at that age. So they didn't have to worry about Treyway and seeing the field anyway. Um, but from my understanding, he didn't really have that much uh, Coverage confusion. Whenever you saw the Vikings with uh, confusion in their secondary, very often it had something to do with the communication with the nickel corner, which sometimes that's Mackenzie Alexander. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a second. Or, you know, Captain Munderland or whoever the backup nickel corner was. It always seemed to be some kind of problem with the nickel corner, not understanding their role and their ability to communicate with the linebackers and the safeties. And occasionally you would see a safety coverage confusion with Anthony Harris, but re- very rarely. And it did happen on occasion, but very rarely was Trey Wayne's kind of the, the problem when it come when it came to a blown coverage or something like that. So uh, I think that if you took a look at all three corners, if you took a look at Xavier Rhodes, Trey Wayne's Mackenzie Alexander, I'd say Trey Wayne's was the least likely to get involved in a coverage confusion mistake from his end. So Um, in the last two years, doesn't seem like it was a big problem. In the first two years, we just don't have enough data to really kind of tell us, you know, whether or not, uh, he was consistently, you know, on point when it came to assignments, just because he didn't see the field all that much. But my impression was that it wasn't the ability to kind of read offenses and figure out his role in the defense. It was more that, you know, the, the hard skills that you need as a corner, he hadn't fully developed.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting you say that because it, it's definitely the case with Zimmer. Uh, the Bengals drafted three corners in the first round. Uh, and I don't think, I don't think anyone played in their first year. William Jackson was, was hurt. Uh, but they, they loved bringing in guys like Terrence Newman, like Pac-Man Jones, some of these older guys, uh, who, you know, kind of, kind of knew everything and he could trust to throw in there right away. So definitely been a, a trend with Zimmer. Um, they, they, they kept drafting them though. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yep. but then, they'd, then they'd bring in an older guy and, and he'd get it done. So uh, now Wayne's has not actually officially signed with the Bengals. In fact, nobody really? has. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. So the Bengals are one of a handful of teams that are not allowing uh, outsiders, uh, outside medical staff, I should right. say, uh, to conduct. The, the uh, pre signing physicals. So, this is obviously concerning. I mean, it's a it, from, from Joe Burrow to all the free agents, it's a, it's a big <laughs> concern for Bengals fans. Uh, Wayne's recently expressed his frustration with this on Takeo Spikes' podcast. Now, like he, I mean, he can't even train, you know, and this is what he said to Spikes like he's afraid to, to train as hard as he wants to. Because if he pulls a hand and he's not going to be able to play. The Bengals aren't obligated to to pay one red cent. So my question is, what kind of guy is Wayne's? Uh, the Bengals obviously have started off on the wrong foot with him. And, you know, no fault, no fault of Wayne's, but you can understand how getting frustrated is a bad way to start a working relationship. Uh, do you think he's a guy that will be able to Get through that and and stay focused, and it won't affect his play in the field or his loyalty to the team. Or, or do you think this could be something that could faster and turn into a into a negative relationship?
2: If you had told me beforehand that one of the two corners that that the Bengals had, I guess intended to sign, not signed, I was expressing frustration about uh, not being able to train and not, uh, you know, having signed, I would have said that the chances that it was Mackenzie Alexander would have been eighty five percent. It is, it is not. And and it must be super frustrating because Waynes is not a very outspoken player. Uh, And and he's you know, both of them work very hard. I I don't want to I don't want to, you know, drag down Mackenzie Alexander or anything like that. But but Alexander is certainly more vocal uh, and and the team has kind of had problems. I don't want to say attitude problems, but problems kind of getting on the same page with him. Whereas with Waynes. You know, he just kind of puts his head down and works and, uh, you know, he didn't see the field for two years uh, with the Vikings and it it didn't there was not really any sign that there was going to be vocal frustration. Like, I'm sure he was enormously frustrated, but there wasn't really any indication that he was kind of letting that out into the public. So he must be remarkably frustrated for him to even uh, express that. So uh, in terms of his relationship with the team and whether or not he's going to be able to kind of you know, put his head down and work, you know, obviously, you know, people change. So I can't say there's 100 percent certainty, but I'm sure once this if this gets resolved, once this gets resolved, it's probably just going to be a non-issue uh, going forward. I don't really think that this is going to be something that's going to be a persistent problem. Uh, and and he has just not been the kind of person that has. I, I don't even want to say creative problems, right, because in this situation, you know, he he's not even creating the problem, um, but has magnified problems or made problems worse. He's just not that kind of person in my experience. So um, take it with a grain of salt, people change. And then also, you know, he's just not very open in the media. So he's a more difficult person to get a read on than some other players. So it could be that way. And I don't get it. But my impression is largely that this is just not something that will persistently be a problem once and if it gets resolved.
1: Well, that's definitely good news to hear. And and obviously you can understand his frustration. I mean. The other day, like the way you describe him, he sounds like he's a guy that just kind of wants to go to work and wants to, you know, wants to compete and, and be the best he can, and um, and that's exactly what his agents told him not to do right now, um, <laughs> right? Be, because he, he, he really can't. Um, so yeah, hundred percent understand that, but but glad to hear that from you because you know you're always worried that these things are going to fester and and do it. I think the Bengals, uh, from what I've heard, the Bengals are one of around a dozen teams. Uh, so not quite half the teams, but uh, but a decent amount of the teams are. Are only allowing their own medical people to do it. So, um, and, and if you can't have players in the facility, then you can't do that. So, hopefully, uh, if if training camp's really starting later this month, uh, it won't be an issue for for very much longer. Um, now, you were, you uh, mentioned him already, but the other former Viking joining the Bengals secondary is Mackenzie Alexander. Uh, he plays the slot corner. Now, you mentioned. Uh, you mentioned how how good of a tackler Trey Waynes is, uh, per pro football focus, Alexander is the only, if it's a back in the NFL to play, uh, 500 snaps, uh, without a single missed tackle. So definitely getting in a strong tackler there. Uh, he replaces, uh, Darquez Dinard, who is an excellent run defender. What type of impact, uh, do we expect Alexander to have against the run in Minnesota?
2: Yeah, I would say, you know, it's it's great that he didn't miss a tackle. And I would say that, you know, he's a plus run defender, especially when you compare him to corners, but I think that he was generally an asset to have on the field. I wouldn't say that this is a trademark feature of his, like I think it is for Waynes. And, and Waynes did I think have some missed tackle problems last year, so that's a good thing to bring up. Um but in terms of things like stopping power, the ability to kind of get to the to the point of attack, uh, the ability to kind of shed tackles from receivers. I would say he's probably just above average. I wouldn't say that, you know, he, he's anything like a lead at the position and and I've, you know, watched a little bit of Denard because I know, you know, he's somebody that probably would interest the Vikings. And I would say Denard is probably a better run defender than Mackenzie Alexander. But you're not losing a ton in the transition between the two when it comes to things like run defense. Um I I, I would say that his attitude, which is um he he really loves working <laughs> like <laughs> um, he's very vocal about it but it's genuine uh and and uh there's he's he's the kind of, there's a quote of his kind of floating around and I, I'm, I'm not going to quote it because it's really good and i don't want to mess it up but it's a functionally along the lines of you know if you love what you do you never work a day in your life except it's more like i just love working like it's just that's the joy that I get um, you know it's like <laughs> along those lines and and that kind of translates into kind of the more physical aspects of of NFL play um, he's not afraid to get in there and mix it up and, and stuff like that he just doesn't have like a ton of stopping power just because of his size uh, and and while Waynes has found some way to, to get around that um, you know Alexander's much more typical uh, in that you know he can get run over um, and, and he doesn't do a great job necessarily always shedding blocks, although most of the time he's getting blocked by a receiver, so it's not necessarily all that difficult. Uh, and in terms of reading the play, he, he won't be late, but he won't be early either. So I would say he's a plus run defender, does a pretty good job tackling, but a lot of times it'll be, you know, he's got somebody by, by the ankle, and so they'll be able to gain two extra yards just by falling forward, that kind of stuff. But I don't think you're, you're in a liability with him as a run defender on the field.
1: I mean, an extra two yards, is, is, as long as you're not on the two-yard line, you can live with that, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and a lot of these happen on screens, right? So sometimes you're turning a two-yard loss into into a, a zero yard, which you can live with for sure.
1: Did, did you see him? You mentioned getting run over a little bit sometimes. Uh, did you see him get, like, juked out of his jockstrap in, in space at all? And, and I only ask because there's another team uh, that wears purple who has a rather athletic quarterback you may have heard of and the Bengals play twice <laughs> a year um is is he i mean look lamar jackson is a problem for everybody to tackle but uh is he good dealing with uh with agile guys
2: in space i generally i don't i don't think he's so good that he'll be able to to effectively (laughs) contain lamar jackson on those kind of runs you know more than five times out of ten or anything like that but uh Um, You know, the Vikings have had to deal with uh, with agile quarterbacks who've been able to kind of tuck and run. And and the Vikings have played, you know, the Seahawks a remarkable number of times, despite not being in the same division. And so we've had our fair share of nickel cornerbacks attempting to tackle somebody who's very good at eluding tackles. And Alexander has been better than a lot of the other nickel corners that they've had, uh, attempt to contain Russell Wilson. So that's a, probably a reasonable proxy. Now, obviously Jackson has kind of this next level stop and go ability that, that makes it really difficult to really map him onto any other quarterback. Uh, and, and from what I've seen of Alexander, I wouldn't say that he's just, he's not like Antoine Winfield, right? He's not so extraordinary that I would expect him to be able to overcome, you know, the, the sheer physical advantage that, that somebody like Lamar Jackson has. But I would say he's probably going to do a better job than most of the people that you're going to sign uh, in in dealing with that situation. So, um, yeah, I I think that when it comes to breaking down tackles in open space, he's generally pretty good. Um, I would say generally pretty good is is probably not good enough for that specific situation, but it's better than what you're usually going to get.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity— And get your child's assessment for only $29. That's SYLVAN29.com.
1: Well, obviously, you know, defensive backs, they got to cover the pass. And really, that's what the NFL is all about is, is covering the pass. You're not playing Lamar Jackson every single week. And you, even against him, you got to be able to cover the pass. So um, with Alexander. Uh, in the slot, are there any specific matchups that he's he's better at or that he struggles with? Because obviously, you're gonna see a lots of, lots of different guys there, from uh, you know five foot eight, you know, real real quick slot types to to tight ends that are split out. Uh, anything that gives him any particular trouble?
2: Yeah, well, I would say that uh, typically it's 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 the bigger guys, um, you know, when when teams like to flex, people like Larry Fitzgerald or Calvin Johnson in the slot. Something the Vikings have had to deal with a lot with over the years. Um, you know, a player like Mackenzie Alexander has had a little bit more difficulty um, with that, but yeah, I, I, the size advantage has to be somewhat substantial because. He's pretty used to dealing because he was an outside corner at Clemson. He's pretty used to dealing with with these size mismatches, and for the most part, he's done a pretty good job. So when he goes up against a six two receiver. I mean, that guy's going to have an advantage. There's no way to get around that. But, you know, for a person of his size, he does, I think, a re- really really remarkable job. It's when you get to kind of those 6'3", six, 6'4", six, guys, or, you know, on the on few occasions that, that they'll match up a tight end in there uh, just because maybe you want to keep zone principles or disguise or whatever, um, you know, that's going to be a little bit more difficult for him. Um, but, you know, he does a really great job disrupting passes, uh, and and he understands that when he's got that size mismatch, you know, his job is not to jump over a guy's head. It's to prevent the ball from, from being completed uh, in the receiver's hands. And so he'll interfere with, with the catch process in any way that he can, that that's, that remains legal. And so he's done a pretty good job of that. He had some difficulty early on in his career uh, in training camp, dealing with that kind of problem. But, you know, for the most part, I think going up against players like uh, Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, who, I mean, they're not six, two, but they're both over six feet tall and are, are combined the, the best contested catch receiver duo in the league. Um, Or at least they were before Diggs was traded. him having to deal with interfering at the catch point for those kinds of receivers, I think is probably even pretty good training for him in dealing with some of these bigger guys that are typically pretty good at contested catches, typically pretty good at boxing people out. He's just kind of developed strategies to get around it. But I would say that when you get to the six, three, six, four guys, that becomes a problem. Or if you end up with uh, your speed slot guys, um, you know, your John Brown's uh, Tyree kill sometimes gets flexed into the slot. Um, those kind of guys. I mean, Alexander is reasonably fast, but that's, not going to be good enough for, for some of the the speedy slot guys that that's threaten the seam and stuff like that. So the normal physical mismatches, he's, he's not going to be able to kind of clamp down, but he does a better job than you'd expect in a lot of situations for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, and and you talk about those guys and they're a problem for everybody. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, When you put different guys in the slide, it's, it's about figuring out how you're going to be able to match up with it. I know, uh, I'm sure you remember the play. I can see the play though, but but uh, Trey Wayne's uh, had a had a tough time with uh, with Tyree Hill this year as well. Um, so as we uh, you know, as we talk about these guys, I mean, you, know, you you had some good slots. You got another one coming in. Uh, I'm I'm sure you've watched quite a bit of uh, Joe Burrow film as you're as you're checking out uh, Justin Jefferson. What what's he what he's going to bring to the table in Minnesota?
2: Oh yeah. Um... Man, Burrow was fun to watch. Uh, there's, uh, there's no way around it because I think anytime uh, you begin thinking about what you want from a quarterback, uh, you know, Burrow has got a lot of it. You know, they ran a pro style off. Op- I mean, it's a, now an NFL offensive coordinator, right? Uh, learned a lot from, from the Saints. Uh, Joe Brady learned a lot from the Saints when he was there. So um yeah, I mean, every everything that you want in a quarterback. You know, Joe Burrow has it. He's got plus athleticism. He's got a pretty great arm. He's really accurate. And I think the thing that really strikes me is his ability to read defenses. Because I think, you know, when you're watching Justin Jefferson, actually, the thing is, I mean, he, last year he was only in the slot. He was very rarely on the outside. Uh, and so Jefferson's ability to receive the ball, and he caught you know, I think more receptions than anyone else in college football last year. So it's not as if, you know, he didn't win on his own. I'm excited about Justin Jefferson for my own reasons. But a lot of the times the offense was dictating whether or not he was going to receive the ball. And and that basically means, you know, kind of whether or not the leverage of the defense is advantageous for the offense. And and no one, I think, was better in college football last year of kind of understanding not just what the defense is, because I think it's a basic thing to say. Hey, I see cover two. Looks like it's going to be zone. That means the the corner route's going to be open. That's great. Fine. That's fantastic. You know, anybody who's draftable in college as a quarterback should have that basic understanding. But kind of understanding, kind of well. Okay, so I know that the cornerback is lined up this way. He's got half a step inside, which means that my receiver's got outside leverage. That means I'm going to have to wait half a tick, or that my receiver's going to adjust in this way uh, in order to kind of get things going. And, and his understanding of that, I think was really remarkable. So, um, it's a really un- advanced understanding of not just the defense abstractly what the defense is supposed to do, but how the defense is positioned and kind of what that opens up. And, and honestly, because Jefferson was advantaged so much by being put in the slot and by having the offense kind of revolve around, you know, what, um, with Jamar Chase, I was like trying to remember the other the the better receiver on that team. Um, what, what Jamar Chase could do, uh, it opened up opportunities for Jefferson and and seeing someone take advantage of those opportunities time and time again, knowing that you've got an even better matchup with Jamar Chase just generally as a receiver, I, I loved it. Uh, And then also, obviously, Joe Burrow's plus athleticism, he knew when to run, which is always really difficult for for college quarterbacks uh, when you're projecting them to the NFL, because usually if you're a plus athlete, at quarterback and you see a lane, you take it. Whereas Burrow, you know, he'll see a lane. And if it's better, you know, he'll take it. But, you know, he wants the first down. And and sometimes if you run, you're not going to get that first down. So he'll pop it over a defender uh, and fake a run or or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, Burrow is exciting. I mean, the only two concerns I have about him are age you know, the fact that he understands defenses that well is probably a product of him being kind of around uh, college football a little bit longer than a typical quarterback prospect. And the fact that he's kind of a one-year wonder, but just from breaking down what he literally just physically does on a field phenomenal.
1: Yeah. And I think you can see all the work that he put in with his receivers like Jefferson uh, in the off season. I think Jefferson really stands out too. Is Knowing how to adjust the coverages and and being you know being in the right position, not only to to get open to but to be in a position where you can where you can rack the ball and definitely bodes well for the Vikings. I think you see a lot of receivers. Receivers pretty tough uh, transition to the NFL. You see a lot of first round receivers that either don't make it or are slow to make it. Um, but I, I think it's it's underrated how big coming from an nfl style system like that is for a receiver uh because I, I think it's just a huge mental ju- jump for a lot of guys from what they're asked to do in college uh to the pros and and i think you know jefferson has already been doing it so uh yeah he should he should be a real good one for you
2: yeah no i'm, I'm looking i actually just wrote up um the scouting report for him for the for uh for the athletics so uh i literally as uh an hour ago, I was writing it before you called. So uh, it's it's pretty fresh in my mind. And and yeah, I, I think that what you pointed out there is is really critical because you take a look at some of these first round, second round receivers, especially this year, where a lot of them are not coming out of NFL style offenses. Um, and and I like a lot of these guys, a lot, right? Like I, I like LaVisca Chenault a lot. And I anticipate that it's going to take a while for him to kind of, you know, be ready to go. Uh, just because, uh, you know, he wasn't asked to do NFL things right and sometimes you know those players can overcome that really quickly DK Metcalf DJ Moore both came out of uh, of systems where they weren't asked to do NFL style things and then were able to produce as rookies in a really big way but for the most part that's the bigger risk right when you've got you know these really phenomenal physical specimens that were really great at the things they were asked to do will now be asked to do kind of a whole different series of things and Jefferson is going to be asked to do basically the same stuff right like it's it's yeah. almost they don't even have that much in terms of different terminology like just the things you'll have to learn which is really great for the Vikings this year just because we've got Got a potentially abbreviated offseason. He's already had to miss the traditionally the OTAs and the spring and the rookie training camps and stuff like that. Uh, and so he just has to map on, you know, the, the slight changes in, in wording systems. But they had option routes. You don't, you just don't see that in college all that often. And when you do, they're very intuitive or by feel like the way you know uh air raid kind of draws on run and shoot principles where sometimes they just kind of do playground stuff right mm-hmm. but in terms of like defined rules as to what a receiver is going to do based off of the leverage of the defense you know that's something jefferson was asked to do that's something joe burrow was asked to do we in tandem with jefferson and that's something that nfl receivers are asked to do all the time and it's it's a big reason why you know some of these really great receivers in college football just to have so much difficulty or, or, or sometimes even never, you know, pick up on it in the NFL, just because the, the mental load is just so enormous.
1: I think you mentioned Chenault, and I think he's a great example where he was, he was the best player on his team and to win football games, you know, like they were just trying to figure out how to get him to ball, you know? So, so he's doing a lot of different things. They're putting him in the backfield. They're, Sending him on jet sweeps, you know he's he's playing he's playing uh uh you know like a wildcat quarterback things like that just to try and figure out how to get him the ball where you know you can't you're not figuring (laughs) out all the little minutia of things when when it's just about getting the ball in that guy's hands and that's what you have in LSU because like you said I mean Jamar Chase is probably the guy in that offense you know (laughs) like (laughs) like when you look at it long term uh you know he he's the he's the the speed threat, you know, he was the guy on the outside. Um, and, and Jefferson benefited from that, benefited from that, but not just because it was drawing coverage, but because he had to kind of, the, the offense wasn't built around his abilities. Uh, you know, he had to figure out how to, how to make it work for him and how to make the, the defense work for him.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. and And I think, that's kind of, I think, one of the more interesting things about about this kind of analysis. Right. Because when you take a look at some of these offenses that produce multiple receivers that get sent to the NFL, either that year or other years, you have to kind of figure out, well, are they benefiting from it? What's kind of the the, the ultimate impact there? And I think the strong record of Alabama receivers kind of tells us that sometimes when you're not the guy, you know, you can still really do a, a great job in the NFL when you transition just because being not the guy, you know, the offense isn't going to force you the ball. You have to earn it and and if you can produce in that environment and some receivers can't but if you can produce in that environment that means you've got this great set of secondary skills that is really important for you to kind of be able to 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 win in the NFL when you're almost certainly not going to be the guy and if you are the guy that's really great news but like you know in order to be that guy you still have to build up those secondary skills so yeah, it's it's something that and LSU has obviously got this strong tradition of receivers as well, and and I think that you know you've got you know your Jarvis Landry's and and so on. Um, mm-hmm. When you got that background there of players that are asked to do more simply to demand playing time and demand the ball and demand the ability or the or the opportunity to produce. There, it, it puts them in an environment kind of the same way that, that competition just is generally pretty good for this sort of thing. It puts them in an environment where they start developing all of these, you know, soft skills just so they can con- consistently maintain that edge. And so, you know, sometimes you, you take a look at at some of my favorite advanced statistics for projecting, you know, how someone's going to do. In the NFL and one of them was wide receiver market share what percentage of yards did they account for the higher that is generally the better it is but sometimes you take a look at, at some of these like Terry McLaurin or some of these uh, or, or or Michael Thomas you know at Ohio State some of these receivers that are coming out of offenses where you know maybe they're not the guy or or you know they don't constitute a like a, a huge share of the yards you take a look at why and what that's done to develop their game and that ends up becoming a positive so. Uh, for somebody like Justin Jefferson, who's had to compete with Jamar Chase, um, who, you know, won the Bolitnikoff, right? <laughs> like, there's yeah. just not much you can do to say, I deserve the ball more. Uh, you know, that, I think, uh, has done, uh, I think, wonders for him from a developmental perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, getting back to Waynes and Alexander, um, you know, this is probably the the most important and most telling question, uh, when you realize that the Vikings were were mo- moving on from those guys, uh, how did that make you feel? How did you react?
2: I I I thought it was inevitable, and it's not a product of their play. It's the it's a product of of two different things, one for each player. For Wayne's, I just knew the Vikings wouldn't be able to afford him, uh, and uh, you know they. They could have potentially worked something out given the cap space they have now, but they probably would have wanted to offer him something like nine million. Obviously, you just can't. No matter how much of a hometown discount you're going to get, you're not going to take five million dollars away from someone's paycheck. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I don't think that um, it was ever going to be possible for the Vikings and Waynes to work something out. I think in a different cap environment, you know, I, I think the Vikings would have loved to bring him back, uh, and so, and I think Waynes would have loved to come back. For Mackenzie Alexander, I just think that the relationship with the team soured a little bit too much. Um, And and there's a couple of things at play here. I think some of it was that You know, he's not particularly happy about being kind of relegated to a slot role. You know, I think that he thinks he can do everything. And personally, I actually kind of agree with him. I think that he's actually a a pretty talented outside corner. But the Vikings just didn't give him that opportunity. I don't know that he'll get that opportunity now with the Bengals. I think that's all baked in the cake. But then also, I think more important than that, because I think he kind of got over it, especially given how good his year was last year. But I think that more than that. When the Vikings decided to play him in week 17 against the Bears, um, you have to remember the virtually no other starter was playing uh, at the beginning of that game. I think they, they played the starters just so they can earn a start. Some of them, not even like Dalvin Cook. They weren't even going to risk one snap for him. Um, but, uh, you know, for most of that game, it was backups and then third stringers and Mackenzie Alexander, which I thought he thought was a slight. But not only that, he was injured. You know he's playing in that game injured, and playing in that game aggravated that injury, and he had to miss the playoffs. And that's something I think that he he didn't forgive. And so I already figured that the Vikings weren't going to be able to to bring him back, regardless of the cap situation, just because he wanted to be in a different environment where he felt he was getting you know a little bit more respect. So um, it was it was something I kind of figured was inevitable uh, for for both of those players for different reasons. So. Yeah, and 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 then I, I, I go to that, and then I take a look at kind of, well, what's the next step for the Vikings? And obviously, it's this completely new cornerback core, and it's just this, like, broad field of uncertainty. I have no idea how to project it. It's going to be really interesting to see how it all works out. But it does mean that the Vikings are more likely than not to regress, despite the fact that getting rid of Xavier Rhodes was the right decision, right? Because he just played so poorly. Um, it's still this kind of gray area for kind of figuring out how the Vikings are going to do. So how did I feel about it? I was kind of already resigned to it by the time we were midway through the season and then certainly by week 17. Um, and so that was pretty easy to kind of figure out, but what it looks like going forward, it's, it's going to be, and it's going to be challenging for me as a writer. Cause I have to become familiar with, uh, you know, all these different players when, you know, that defense never changed more than two starters in every, any single year. Uh, and now they've got like five new starters and I've got to figure this all out. So now they're making me work you know? So how
1: long before they called Drea up?
2: <laughs> I'm shocked they haven't done it. Right? I, I mean, I I think that, you know, Darquez Dinard's a, a better get for them just because they don't have any, um, you know, certainty in the slot or anything like that. But, um, I'm, I'm shocked they haven't done it because he knows the system and, and the Vikings don't love throwing rookies in there right away. But I think by, by all accounts, Jeff Gladney, the first round rookie um, is just going to start right away, which I think for any other team is a given. But like you said, like we said for a Zimmer team is not, uh, and I would have figured that they would have really liked to bring in Denard or, or Kirkpatrick, um, to, uh, to, to fill that, those gap years with a proven veteran who understands the system. So, um, I'm, I'm shocked it hasn't happened. They could do it one week into the, they could do it at any time and it wouldn't surprise me. So, like, I'm still waiting for it. Yeah. she's. I forgot
1: about Gladney. That's, <laughs> <he's>, <laughs> they, they drafted, that's a good players. player. Uh, like, yeah, he's <laughs> a, uh, you know, he's a, he's a bit undersized, but man, I, I, I love this. I tend to like the short guys though, because they can flip their hips and move. Uh, oh, yeah. But,
2: it, well, especially when they've got an attitude like Gladney yeah. does. Like, he's a, gentleman. oh, yeah. Absolutely.
1: That, I mean, I, the, the uh the hit that got him kicked out of that game. <laughs> I forgot forget, forget what was against, but you don't know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, no, I mean, that was an awesome play for for a corner. And, and I mean honestly, I, I when I was coaching that was legal. Like <laughs> I
2: don't I, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you I take a look personally, at a hit like that I and I don't know that that is So you know,
1: I, I was I was fine with it, but uh but yeah, I mean that, that guy they gotta bring the wood from the corner spot.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and you know, you lose two pretty good tackling corners, I think that that becomes a priority. Um I and you know, you take a look at a hit like that. I don't know that there's any scout maybe one out of the the 32 teams. I don't think there's any scout that that looks at that and says, "Well, we're going to have to move him down our board." I think every scout moves him up. Um, sure. you know, it's in a lot of these penalties, it, it kind of depends on the type of penalty, right? Like um the Vikings really liked that Drew almost got kicked out of the game for starting a fight. You know, it's just, mm. you know, sometimes it's like, well, we don't want you to do that, but we like that you're willing to. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and and, and no, I'm glad he certainly has the attitude you need there. You know, I, I think we're
1: talking about one play, but, but to me it's, does this guy hit in a way that it's going to be a problem where we need to, we need to, t- need to teach this guy how to tackle? <laughs> because he's going to get a, he's going to get a penalty every time in the NFL. Like to me, that's the sort of thing it's about. And and, I, and honestly, the only reason I really kind of put an asterisk on that was because, uh, I have been a coach. I have been responsible for the lives of young men. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I take, I take safety very seriously. Uh, and I, and I think all of us, uh, all of us in the, in the sport, following the sport, covering the sport, uh, whatever, uh, should have learned quite a bit about concussions over the last 10 years that uh, we certainly didn't know when, when we were young and we were playing and, and starting off our careers and stuff. So um, yeah, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to celebrate a dangerous hit personally. I think that hit was fine. That specific hit. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right? yeah, and, yeah that, and that's the only reason I put an asterisk on that. Um,
2: that enforcement, so yeah.
1: Now uh, my guest today was Arif Hassan. Arif, where can people uh, follow you and find your work?
2: Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. I've got a weird name. I'll spell it out. A R I F H A S A N NFL. Um, that's on Twitter. I don't do any other social media. Uh, and you can find uh, my my written work at uh, The Athletic, so theathletic.com. Uh, and, Are you guys doing
1: uh, a free month or something right now, a free trial? Yeah, yeah,
2: free trial. So you click on, uh, I think it's any article, but, but definitely any of my articles. Uh, and uh, And you just scroll down and you click. Uh, free trial and you get, you know, 30 day free trial and there you can find uh, me writing up scouting reports on, on every non-specialist on the roster. I've already got quarterbacks and running backs done and, and you've already heard that I'm working on wide receivers. That'll come next. Uh, and, and by the time I'm done, I should have 87 scouting reports for, for everybody on the roster. So um, you can find my work there. You can take a look at what I have to say. And then, you know, if you've got a question about, you know, a former Viking or anything like that, I'm more than happy to answer. So hit me up on Twitter again, that's at on NFL.
1: All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining me. Uh, be sure to check out the Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel. Uh, this week I actually posted a video on the Bengals' use of the toss play and how that changed when they were going against different defensive fronts. Uh, so check that out if you like X's nose. And, and if you, if you don't, you, you probably wouldn't be listening to my podcast either, but uh, <laughs> definitely check that out. Uh, and if you like hearing from great guests like Arif, uh, make sure you give us a review. Uh, and and you know it helps people to find us uh, and you know really supports the podcast so make sure you're doing that so thanks for checking us out today and good day
2: yeah we coming for us you hit the crowd